What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kick or for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, and you can check out all of our fantasy baseball work at EthosFantasyBB on Twitter. We share out all of our podcasts, our articles, polls, every bit of baseball content you guys can find over there. And if you're not on social media, SportsEthos.com is the place to be checking out. We're doing another team preview today. We're about half the way through, and like I said a couple days ago on the show, we're probably going to be wrapping these up in the first week of March. But we are continuing with the Chicago White Sox today. And we're joined by somebody who I realized yesterday is the most frequent guest we've ever had on the show. Is the sixth time here. Unbelievable that we've already had you on six times. I've taken away six hours of your life to talk fantasy baseball. But it's always a great time. And we are joined by Mike Carter. You can find his work over at Fantrax and newly at Roto Baller as well. And of course, on the Fantasy Baseball Beat podcast. We just had his co-host on, Chris Torres, last week the Yankees preview but we're here to talk White Sox with Mike how you doing my friend well you know with that intro I'm feeling really good about that and uh just listened on my way to Glarf last week and I listened to your 500th episode so congratulations on that major milestone Joe you know um I hate to say this because it makes you sound like an old man but I knew you when you when you were really young and and nobody knew you yet and now you've made quite a name in the community for yourself you do great stuff and uh podcast is really engaging and i really enjoy listening to it every week so um every day actually i don't listen to it every week so uh fantastic job and i love listening to you thanks for having me on again no i i love having you on it's always a great time i think you were probably one of the in one of the first hundred episodes or so hundred first 80 first hundred uh somewhere very early on and we've had you on throughout the Throughout the last few years for the trade deadline shows and for the White Sox previews and talking relievers with our friend Greg Jewett and a whole bunch of different shows we've done together. And it's always a great time. I do want to get you uh, give you a chance to just tell everybody what you have going on. Any articles that you've recently released or about to release or any new podcast. Uh, tell us any work you got to plug here off the top, Mike. Well, geez, you got to, you know, I'm a pretty busy guy, you know, I've been really fortunate to be able to do what I do and and get the opportunities that I've had. And I'm always grateful for that. So I, as you said, I'm still covering bullpens over at Fantrax and I'll be doing weekly um, articles on the bullpen happenings and what's going on and guys to target and things like that. I just had a big 50 reliever roundup kind of come out there last weekend. Uh, tomorrow at Rotoballer, I have an article coming out on how to kind of take apart your first three rounds of a draft and how to value hitters and find people there to take and go through a little bit of a thought process on how you do that. And then over the weekend, I'll have another one that's coming out on Rotoballer on uh, targeting 26 to 29-year-old post-hype breakout infielders, and I'll do another one with outfielders later in the weekend. And then, of course, I do the fantasy baseball beat with Torres, as you pointed out. Sorry you had to have him on and talk about the Yankees. Um, he's constantly irritated. It's like, he's like an 85 year old man internally. And he's like, he's like 35, 37, and he's always cranky. So I'm really glad that you had him on to talk Yankees. I really hope they don't get Blake Snell because I'll never hear the end of it. And, uh, no, I, everything's good here. Uh, those are the things I got coming out. And, uh, you know, we'll be starting with the, uh, fantasy baseball beat weekly again here in a couple of weeks. So uh, right now we've kind of been doing every other week just to kind of, try to keep ourselves a little bit fresh and, and relevant and uh, we just kind of keep working, you know, it's really an honor to be able to continue to be able to do work in the field. And I never take that for granted. I feel, I realize it could all vanish like a fart in the wind tomorrow, you know? So 
Uh, really happy to be here and be ha- and happy to be with you, Joe. Uh, like we like I've said, it, it's just always great to talk with you. And, and like to your point, the industry is fragile. Uh, we see it all the time. People getting laid off from if it's massive companies, we see Sports Illustrated essentially go under uh, and a ton of different people getting laid off or losing their positions. It's a, it's a tricky industry. And like you said, uh, yeah, definitely grateful to be able to be contributing to it. And hopefully you guys are getting something out of it, uh, especially Mike's work. Mike is putting in a hell of a lot of work contributing for a bunch of different places. So make sure you are checking them out over on Twitter as well at MDRC0508, the best handle in the business. You get everything that he does over there. Uh, no, it is a great handle because everybody's got the same the same shit. You know, it's their name like I've got or it's some variation of their name, but you actually mix it up a little bit. So it does keep it fresh and keep it interesting. But go ahead and follow Mike once again, MDRC0508. Make sure you're checking out everything he has going on. But let's talk some White Sox. Let's get into oh, do, we, do we have to? I know. Do we have to? I know. I always <laughs> I feel bad. I feel I feel bad even reaching out to you. I know that you're the guy. You're the White Sox. I know you did Bubba's preview for the White Sox as well. And you're, you're kind of the guy that in the industry we turn to for this team. I do apologize because it is a bit of a tricky, tricky subject because the team is not exactly fantastic at this point but let's get into it individually we're talking from a fantasy baseball point of view there is some value and you know just going through a couple of these team previews that i've done with some of the poorer teams the royals and uh, the athletics and the nationals there can sometimes be some pretty decent buying opportunities um, based on the fact that people are just kind of ignoring the players on the bad teams a lot of the time but let's start with andrew benintendi let's start at the top of the order i think he's likely to be at the top of the order maybe that's not set in stone but i think he'll probably be there last year was fairly disappointing he played 151 games only hit five home runs the power hasn't been there in the last couple of seasons he did give you 13 steals he did give you 72 runs and batted 262 he was i mean i guess in a 15 team league startable not not anything to get really excited about and this year you're getting him around pick 377 uh, in these drafts that have taken place in January. What's your outlook on Benintendi this year, Mike? Are you interested in drafting him in any formats? Not really at this point. I think he's better waiver wire fodder at this point than anything. Um, I, I think the the thing that's interesting about him is that he's a better player in real life than he is for fantasy purposes, I think. And he's only got 10 home runs combined the last two years. You mentioned he only had the five last year. Did have double-digit steals last year, but he's your classic kind of compiler. You know, like... If he gets 650 at-bats, he's a guy that could get you 15 home runs, 15 stolen bases, although I, we really don't know exactly what his his stance is going to be coming in this year in terms of if he's trying to hit for average or more power. If he's trying to hit for average, he didn't really accomplish that all that well last year either. I think he was in the 260s. He's not going to hurt you. Um, supposedly a pretty good glove in left field, although he didn't really show that, that last year. The one thing I would say to consider with Benintendi, though, is that there was a lot of talk here in Chicago that he was sort of hiding an injury last year and that that wrist was really still bothering him. If if he's through that and if he's he's going to play every day because, they let's face it, they have no other options really, um, and he's, he stays healthy, he could put up a 15-15 type of season with a 270-280 average. And if that wrist is better and if he changes his outlook a little bit on what he's doing, he could become a guy that's useful as a compiler. At pick 370, though, uh, I don't know. At pick 500, a guy that's on the waiver wire, I think he's the guy that might be able to fill in and help you. I'm not sure that I would be drafting him. Maybe in 15, 15s, as you said, 10 and 12s, no way. 
Yeah, if you're in like a draft and hold, I could see there maybe being some value there. But for most people, they're not playing in draft and holds. They're just playing in their 12-team leagues. Benintendi is not going to do enough from a power standpoint. There's probably, even though he's projected as leadoff hitter, that's not going to be like 100 runs like you'd see or 85, 90 runs like you'd see in a lot of teams. It's probably going to be closer to the 70 to 80 range. And, you know, he, like you said, he needs to be a compiler. He's not somebody who does have that per game upside so much. He needs to be out there for 140 games in order to just kind of break even really and give you like 10 and 10 or 12 and 12. So, yeah, I think uh, for the most part, Benintendi is somebody that I'm pretty happy to avoid this year. If I'm taking him, it's because maybe I want to secure a little bit of later batting average in a, in a draft and hold. But for most of you guys, you don't really need to be interested in him, I don't think. Andrew Vaughn is somebody that I think is a, a bit more interesting, at least. Uh, the price is certainly lower than it has been. 234 is what we're seeing in the new year. Last year was, I guess, not exactly what we were hoping for, but it wasn't really that bad. He's somebody that I haven't really heard talked about so much this offseason, but mm-hmm. 21 homers, 80 RBI, and he batted 258. That's pretty reasonable for somebody that you're not having to pay up until almost pick 254. I think that there's a pretty decent buying opportunity here uh, for Andrew Vaughn. What do you think, Mike? Are we uh, are we interested this year? Yeah, very interested, and I'll tell you why. I think that there's people that are missing kind of the point of the exercise when it comes to this guy. I think he's going to hit for a better average. I think he's going to hit for a little more power. He, remember, when he was drafted, he was considered to be probably the best – most major league ready hitter in the draft when he was drafted. The Sox took him third overall. He only had about 250 minor league at bats before he started residing on the South side and being able to play. He's another guy who last year played through injury. You know, he, he followed the ball off his foot and um, he had some problems with that throughout. He played through it. They really didn't have a lot of other opportunities, you know, other than Gavin Sheets, who's really not a, a guy that can play every day. Uh, I think Vaughn is a guy that could easily get 25 home runs. I think he's going to get 600 at bats if he's healthy. I think he could get 90 RBIs and help you out in that. The other thing I love about him is he's 25 and he's already got over, you know, that, that magic number of at bats that we look for, for guys that are, are going to make that next leap up. I don't think he's a 35 home run guy. I think he's more of a contact guy. His K rate is really low. And I, he doesn't get a lot of credit for that, but his K rate's only like 20, 21%. That's mm-hmm. good for a guy that might hit for some power. At that ADP, considering that I already probably have my first baseman on my roster, I think I'm going to take Andrew Vaughn as a corner infielder or as a utility guy. Yeah, that's perfect. You don't need to invest the hell of a lot in him as your starting first baseman. You can put him at a corner, you can put him at utility, and you might even, depending on your format, be able to have him as a reserve. And you might end up, like you said, 25 homers. You could see a 275, 280 batting average. The best case scenario is 90 to 100 kind of RBI season. There's a lot of upside, and there's room for growth. As you said, 25 years old, he could definitely improve over the next couple of years and make this ADP look pretty stupid. I mean, 234 is between a range of 194 on the minimum side and 268 on the maximum side. It's just a, a really affordable price for somebody with a lot of upside in him still. Yeah, I think so too. And especially, I think there's been a lot of talk about how the White Sox are going to construct the top part of this lineup. And as of right now, it really sounds like Vaughn's going to hit second. And if he hits second, I like him even more. You know, he was batting cleanup last year. He's probably a little miscast as a cleanup hitter. But this team, as we'll saw, as we'll talk through, doesn't really have a, a legit cleanup hitter. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, later. Yeah, we're almost there. We're at the third hole in the lineup right now, which should be Luis Robert. 
I mean, I, I expect him to probably bat third. Last year was the first time we'd seen him actually have a full year, and I think White Sox fans, if they had anything to cheer about last year, it was him. 38 homers, mm-hmm. 20 stolen bases. He ended up batting 264. Now, from what I recall, and I'm just going to double-check and make sure uh, I'm being accurate, the second half of the year, specifically the last month of the season, was kind of not great for him. September, October, up 206 batting average, kind of dragged it all down, but... For most of the season, you're looking at a guy who was batting about 280. You know, you're looking at close to 40 homers and 20 stolen bases. I really like Luis Robert, and I've drafted him once so far this year as a third-round pick in a 15-team league. That's generally where he's going, about pick 33. Are you interested in him as a third-rounder this year? Absolutely. I think that he's a guy that he's obviously the best player they have. He's the best player they've had in many, many years since I've been watching the White Sox for, what, 40-plus years now. He really kind of gives you hints that there's a monster season in there, right? That that you could get, you could see a guy hit 40 home runs and steal 30 bases. He was pretty darn close last year, anyway, right? Yeah. To your point, the injuries at the end of the season, he was really dinged up, and he was he was playing through some nagging injuries. He had a he had a leg issue. He's had this this hand issue that he has from time to time. This guy's kind of a unicorn. He's just kind of a freakish natural talent. Last year, what I, I liked what he did for from a fantasy perspective, I think this made a lot of sense that he really surrendered some contact for power. And I think for him that was a good trade-off because he's obviously a guy that can has can hit for major power. He's got great speed. I think that was a good trade-off. You know, um he struck out more, you know, but even still, I think a 29% strikeout rate for a guy of his caliber is is very livable for me. Yeah. So could you see could you see a situation where the skills coalesce and he becomes a first round pick? Yeah. Is it this year? I don't know. None of us have a crystal ball. But if he plays 150 games, which is a huge thing on, a, on this White Sox team, they always have a lot of guys that are injured. You know, I think he's an easy bet for 35 home runs and 15 steals and hitting 260, 270, um, which would more than return your third round value. Yeah, I mean, you don't like you said, you don't need him to hit 280 or 290 if that's going to mean so many fewer home runs. I'm able to sacrifice 20 points of batting average if that does mean he's going to be closer to a 40 homer bat. Now, do I want him to strike out 29% of the time? No. The projections all generally seem to think he'll be a 24, 25% K rate guy. And if that's the case, if he meets the projections that we're seeing, which is generally about 33 and 20, with a 270-ish average, they're essentially expecting him to repeat exactly what he did again. I don't have any problem with it. It's just a matter of will he be on the field for the entire season. That's been the only real problem. Exactly. Now, it won't be talked about as much this year because he was healthy last year, but this was the first time he has been healthy, so it is something that you kind of have to keep in the back of your head. Uh, will he be able to stay healthy? And I think it depends on your draft build. If you've taken a couple of risky players in the first couple of rounds, like let's say you went with Ellie Dela Cruz in the second round and your first round pick was, I don't know, Fernando Tatis or something, it might be a little risky to take Lou Bob at that point. But I think if you are starting off with uh, you know a Freddie Freeman and an Austin Riley or, or something like that, somebody who is a little bit more secure, at least in my eyes, who is a little more secure. Mm-hmm. We, we don't really, we don't really know what the hell is going to happen, but I think he should be put into a more safe build as opposed to taking him along with Ellie Dela Cruz and Royce Lewis and a bunch of yeah. risky names. I think that's that's where I am on him. Yeah, think about that. You're absolutely right, Joe. So if you start, if say you start Mookie Betts and Francisco Lindor, you've got a really great base of 
kind of yeah. knowing what you're going to get, then you might be able to take a chance on Lou Bob and say, you know what, I'm going to roll the dice on this and see. If that dude plays 150 games, he's going to be a monster. Yeah, absolutely. I'm there with you. Now let's talk about somebody who is likely not going to be a monster at this point. That's Juan Moncada. I've thrown in the <laughs> towel. I've thrown in the towel at this point. I have, just have you? Have you? I get it. I get I, it. I just don't think that there's that much there. And people are still, I mean, he's not, he's not expensive, but 376, he's more expensive than Ben Intendi. He's more expensive than, you know, a few players, even just on the White Sox that I like more. He's never able to stay fully on the field. He's never been able to match up to that 2019 level of production since. And I mean, there's just, there's just so many red flags. The strikeout rate went way up last year. The walk rate went down. I just I just don't see it. I just don't see any need to be taking a chance on Moncada anymore. Am I crazy? Are you are you still in here, Mike? It, it really depends on what you have, I think. You know, there are there are things here that you have to point out that are truths. He 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 was he's injured often. He won't play unless he's close to 100%. He's had a, a series of leg injuries. Last year it was a back injury. It was really painful. It sounds like it was really really hard for him to do anything. They didn't really publicize it all that much. Brian Ramos is lurking. You and I saw him in Arizona when we were down there for the AFL. He looks like a really young guy who is very hungry and is able to play third base defensively. Time is ticking for Yohan. Here's the thing that's crazy. He's 28. So he could definitely, I mean, this was a guy that was, when the Sox got him, was the number one prospect in all of baseball, even though the White Sox preferred Devers at the time. The Red Sox smartly would not trade Devers. That worked out really well for them. And in that trade in that trade for Chris Sale, we ended up with Moncada and Michael Kopech, who makes me want to throw up. And so you, so you have a situation where you have a 28-year-old guy who's in a contract year, and if he's ever going to do it, this would be the time. Last round, late round, flyer. The guy did have a good second half after he came back. He hit two like 260-something with about eight home runs in the last like six weeks of the season. He showed signs of life. Do you want that? I don't know. Um, it, he's basically free at this point. It costs yeah. you nothing to, to really try. And he's got, a, he's got a great pedigree. I mean, the problem is, is that you see guys like Moncada and you see he's in the best shape ever. He lost 20 pounds this offseason. You see him hitting – I've seen the videos of him – at home hitting bottle caps with broomsticks. He's, he's a freakish talent. He just can't put it together and be on the field. If he did, this team would look really different. But yeah. he's he's sort of the poster child for what's wrong with this whole team, right? Like you've got you've got guys that have that clearly have ability, clearly have always been the best guy wherever they've been, and they can't figure out how to get that together as a team or figure out how to stay healthy. I think it depends on what you're thinking. If you're if you're in the last round of a draft and he's out there, I would not mind throwing a dollar at him and yeah. and seeing what sticks. But again, in a ten or twelve teamer, no way. I mean, there's just no way. Yeah, I'm 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 there with you. I think he's not going to be a target of mine. But to your point, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see like a twenty home run season where he bats two sixty and he does return yeah. value on that price. It doesn't. We, we're not we're not expecting stardom at this point. We're just expecting you know, maybe, you know, something other than what we've seen these last couple of years. You talked about poster boys for the White Sox. I think Eloy Jimenez is also kind of in that grouping a little bit himself. Now, he was more healthy than we'd seen in the last few years. He played 120 games. Um, he was actually in the field 14 times, which did surprise me. When oh we did the show, 
when we did this show last year, I think we talked about how they wanted him to leave his glove at home in spring training, and mm-hmm. that didn't end up happening. He did end up playing the field a little bit. How much that's going to happen, I'm not sure. He's another guy where it's pretty much just health dependent. If I knew I was getting 140 games out of Eloy, it's probably like 30 plus homers. You're getting a good batting average. That's something that's always been there. And, you know, in the spot he is in the lineup, fourth or fifth, you're probably getting good counting stats from him if he's healthy. And that's something that is pretty much impossible to predict. Now, the price is cheap enough you can take a chance on him uh, at 232. I don't mind it. I really don't. If you're in NFBC leagues, he's a utility only. A lot right. of leagues, he'll, a lot of leagues, he'll still have outfield. Uh, Yahoo and ESPN and the like, he'll he'll have outfield because the threshold is only ten games on those on those places. Uh, some of them have an even lower five game threshold. But regardless of the eligibility, are you going to take a chance on Eloy this year? On maybe he'll be able to get into one hundred and thirty games, or has he hurt you too many times at this point? It's one of those things where, for me, I, I don't. I see the talent. I see the ability. I just don't trust the guy. I think he's, um, boy, this is a really hard thing to say. I, I, I go to a lot of Sox games and he's kind of an airhead. You know, he he can't really seem to pay attention. He's always kind of looking around in the stands for people. It's like, I want to give him like Ritalin or something, you know, and help him kind of focus on what's going on. There are guys who can really readily DH and don't mind doing it. And there are guys that need to be able to play the field to be able to kind of stay engaged in the game. And they've talked a little bit this year about maybe having him play a little bit of right field just to kind of keep him dabbling in it and engaged. Here's the thing again. I'm going to say this again, similar to what I said about Moncada. He's 27. He feels like he's been around for 12 years. The power power is legit. It's light tower power if he's healthy. He's a really good hitter when he is able to play. The problem is availability. If you're going to take Moncada, I'm sorry, not Moncada, if you're going to take Eloy, I think you have to plan for the fact that he's maybe going to give you 400 at bats and anything after that's gravy. Yeah. So if you're looking at him and you're saying, okay, here's a utility guy. He's only good in that spot. I can't really use him anywhere else. The scepter of him hitting 30 home runs is very real. If he's, if he's healthy, he's going to, he can hit 30 home runs. There's no doubt about it, but he's never played in more than 122 games. He's always got soft tissue injury. He's a six foot five, 250 pound guy who thinks he's a speedster, tries to beat out ground balls to short. He's just a total meathead. And so I just don't see him making that step unless he all of a sudden has come across some newfangled maturity that I'm not aware of. I I just think it's too risky, especially with not having outfield eligibility to take him and just slot him in there. Now, that being said, there will be somebody in the draft room who will take him, who will believe, who thinks that he's a 30 to 35 home run guy if he's able to play. And that probably will not be me. Yeah, it's almost the same analysis that you get for Giancarlo Stanton. If they're able to be in the lineup, then you're getting 30 plus homers. But how often they're in the lineup is the huge question. It's not so much talent. It's availability, which, you know, stupid, yeah. old, stupid old saying, but availability, it, it is the best ability. If you're not out on the field, it doesn't matter how good you are. And that's kind of a common theme for all those guys, for Lou Bob, for Moncada, and for Eloy. It's just a matter of actually staying out there. And that's the difference between a 70-win Sox team and an 85-win Sox team, I think, right there. It's just those three guys. Now, that's kind of it for the for the lineup i mean the bottom four spots in the projected order we got a dominic fletcher kevin pilar platoon paul de young nicky lopez and martin maldonado is there any i mean i I hate to group so many guys together but is there is there any fantasy value here you think is there any potential 
for any of these guys to actually you know, return value for the standard. Not we're not talking forty-five team leagues here. We're talking uh, <laughs> for, for your standard ten and twelve team leagues. Is there any chance for any of these bottom of the order guys? You know, a guy that I am interested in is Fletcher a little bit because. Yeah. The, you know, the, the White Sox made that trade with Arizona, and it was said that they had the choice between Fletcher and Jake McCarthy, and they chose Fletcher. Okay. Uh, the White Sox, now, granted, the, what you said about the bottom of the order is it's putrid. Here's the thing, though. The one thing that they really wanted to do, two things that they really wanted to do, and, will, and it remains to be seen if that will really happen, they wanted guys who could catch the ball. DeJong, Lopez, Maldonado, Max Stacy when healthy, Fletcher, can all catch the ball. Fletcher's a plus outfielder. He's a really, really good outfielder. He can play all three spots. I think, and I don't have any reason other than hunch to say this, I think he will be the starting right fielder. I think they're going to leave him alone. And I think he could produce a Benintendi-like season when Benintendi was actually in his prime. Uh, a 15-15 and hit a little bit, and he's going to play really good defense out there. I think they're going to leave him alone. They have no reason to not. I mean, the other options are Oscar Colas, who Chris Getz, the general manager, has already said is going to start the season at AAA no matter what happens. They've got Gavin Sheets, who's not a right fielder. They've got – they really don't have a lot of other options. So, I mean, Eloy, I guess, if you wanted to, but he'll probably kill himself on mistake out there somehow. He looks like he – he always looks like he's playing the outfield on roller skates, you know, like he, yeah. he can't, keep, can't keep his feet and whatnot. So I think Fletcher's a guy that might have some interest um, – it, depending on how the spring works out, you know, and it, it, there's been a lot of talk that the Sox, you know, maybe it'll sign Whit Merrifield this weekend to play second base in right field. So like mm-hmm. that could be a natural platoon partner for, for Fletcher, but there's really no reason to not let him play and just see what he is, you know, 26, let him go. Um, but other than that, there's nothing else there. I mean, DeJong is going to lose time when Montgomery is ready, which will be soon. And I, th- I, I think the one guy that's uh, the silver lining in all of this for White Sox fan is, seeing him down in Arizona and talking to scouts and, and watching him play, he can play shortstop. He's going to play shortstop. They need him to play shortstop and he's going to hit. So the thing that we're looking forward to on the South side is when we can get Montgomery and Ramos up there together on the left side of the infield and at least give us a shred of hope uh, at some point, hopefully this season for both of those guys. Yeah. Colson Montgomery has not played above double a, so I'm guessing he'll probably start the year at triple a um maybe they start him at double a but yeah he's somebody that could come up later on in the summer he's put together some pretty decent numbers in the minor leagues especially if you're an on base percentage league player lost connection there i'm not sure what happened uh it does happen from time to time here with my internet apologies uh but i was just saying about colson montgomery he's somebody that probably will be up um you know if he does come up it'll be later on in the summer because he hasn't played above double A yet. His numbers were pretty solid in the lower levels. In double A, he struggled a little bit, but still uh, looks like a really solid OBP league type player um, for sure. The walk rates have been just insane. Mm-hmm. And we haven't at any level of the minors for too long. He's always been bouncing around, uh, getting up the minor league levels pretty quickly. So he, he's definitely somebody that is uh, pretty interesting. Um, there are a couple of other names. I mean, you mentioned Oscar Colas. I've drafted him quite a bit in uh, the draft champions and uh, mm-hmm. 50 leagues that I've done, the draft and hold type of formats. It might be false hope. I think that he's just somebody that everybody's just kind of forgotten about. Maybe he does need a couple of weeks or maybe even a month or so in the minors. But I think that there is a chance that he does uh, get some playing time at some point this year. Maybe I'm crazy. I just don't know that 
if it's Fletcher or you know whoever it is, first of all, I think there will be injuries at some point where they will need. Mm-hmm. But I also, I guess I wasn't one hundred percent sold on the fact that it would be Fletcher long term over Coloss. But based on what mm-hmm. you said, it sounds like you're you're more sold on it being Fletcher. I, I think that the issue with Coloss is uh, is not a talent issue. I think it's a work ethic issue, and they brought him up last year, and uh, our our manager. I shouldn't say R. I'm not on the team. The manager of the White Sox, Pedro Grofal, said that after about a month of Colas getting regular at bats, that Colas wasn't ready and that he didn't have the work ethic to really be there. The thing that's really interesting about Pedro Grofal, just to, di- to di- diverge for a minute, is that about 100 games into the season, this guy says, We don't have the culture that I want. And I'm like, Well, guess what? You are in charge of culture. You're the manager. You're the one who sets the tone. So if you don't like the culture, then set about changing it. So the White Sox have set a different culture in, in, in motion in that they, they want a, a, a bunch of defensive guys that can catch the ball. DeJong, Lopez, Fletcher, those types of guys, Maldonado can catch the ball, right? Colas came up and really was not sure where to go. And there was no there's no real leadership on this team. You know, Jose Abreu left and went to Houston. I have no problem with that with that move. I think it was time for him to go. I think it was time for him to try to find a winner and uh, let, let Vaughn play. To your point, though, Colas has light tower power. This guy is like a freak of nature. Another another Cuban national guy that the White Sox have that has an, a, an just a bushel full of talent, if you could figure out how to put it together. But he hasn't played. He hasn't had hardly any at-bats in the minor leagues. It, it, uh, just a handful of different things going on. So he really needs some seasoning. I could see him coming up later in the year, like you said, either due to injury or ineffectiveness of guys on the White Sox or trades that end up happening. But he really needs to go someplace where he can get consistent at-bats on a daily basis. He's not going to get that on the big team right now. But if he does come up, he's a guy that does have prodigious power and has an absolute cannon for an arm if he were to play uh, in the outfield. So he's definitely somebody – I think it's a smart move on your part to invest – uh, just a little bit in him because I think he could have a role at some point. I have him on three uh, draft and hold teams. I think that's probably going to be, I mean, I'm done with draft and holds at this point. Anyway, we're moving on to, to the fab leagues, but I think I'm done with my current shares. I'm going to hope for the best. And uh, you know, may, maybe something will happen in the middle of the summer. We'll get lucky because it's not a clear path, but there is uh, there's potential for him to get a role at some point. Let's talk about the pitching situation, which is not. Oh, great do, do we do we have to? Do we have to? I'll ask I, that question again. <laughs> well, we certainly don't have to talk about everybody. I'll tell you that. Uh, we <laughs> talk about Dylan Cease for sure. Uh, Dylan Cease had a bit of a down year, uh, but he I did. think that does create a bit of a buying opportunity. I've drafted him once or twice myself this year. He's going outside of the top 100. Projections are not in love with him but they're not bad and they think that he will rebound to some extent you're still looking at somebody who is very likely to give you 200 strikeouts he's gotten over the past three years 226 227 214 Mm -hmm. it's more just a question of what that era and that whip are going to look like the whip was 142 this past season Mm -hmm. i think he can bounce back a little bit mike are you uh, interested in taking a plunge on him now that you're paying a a cheaper price this year yeah i think you know I, i really thought last year that the the price for him was way too high. Yeah. He hadn't really proven that he was that guy. A year's worth of data to me, is just really one data point, right? So the truth of what Cease is, is probably somewhere between his 2023 and 2022 season. And the issue with him always has been, and always will be command. The stuff is there. 
He's a guy that probably on a really good team is a number two. I don't think he's an ace. I don't I don't consider him in the same vein as a Pablo Lopez, say, or a, a Zach Wheeler, obviously, you know, and his and his draft price is lower than that. I think the thing that that would really help Cease would be when the Sox move him, and they will move him, uh, whether that be through desperation, you know, the Orioles lost like half their team today to injury, it seems like, but maybe the Orioles want to make that overpayment and, and go for him or wherever they end up trading him, even if he's at the deadline, that, that truth about him is somewhere in the middle of those two things. And I think if he goes to a place where someone can help him with the command issues, the thing that I, I find about him and there are people who disagree with me about this and I'll just say it anyway, because I know you don't mind if we have some disagreement is that he doesn't attack the top of the zone. Mm-hmm. He almost seems like he's afraid to do that. And if he did that, he would be able to set up his secondary pitches in a much better fashion. I just, I look at him sometimes and I don't think that he believes, I don't think that he believes that he's really as good as what he is because I see him pitch and I'm just like what I wouldn't give to have my right arm be able to throw that way, right? Um, because if I were a pitcher and I had his stuff, I wouldn't give a damn who was batting. I would just be mowing people down, right? I, I think that he gets in his own head a lot, and he's a really good guy. He's a really good teammate from what everybody says. They really got to move him. And what I'm worried about as a fan, not as a fantasy player, is that they've blown their opportunity. Like I'm worried that if he comes out and he's not great and he throws a 450 ERA, they're not going to get something really great for him in return, you know? So I I would really hope that they would move him now. It doesn't look like that's going to happen unless somebody really is desperate or somebody gets besieged by injuries in spring training and feels like they have to make that move, especially with Snell and Montgomery both unsigned still too, you know? Like, I don't know. I'm not sure what the market is anymore, but he's clearly their ace. Um, He's starting opening day here for sure. They've already announced that if they keep him. I think at this point he's probably starting the year as a White Sox, and then we'll see what happens from there. Uh, a lot agree. of people said with the Orioles, the the Corbin Burns move was their Bradish response, that they kind of knew that Kyle Bradish was injured and we just didn't know as a public, so that was their move they made. So I think expecting a Snell or a Montgomery move for the Orioles or even a Dylan Cease I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, at this point, I think Cease is kind of interesting as your third starter, maybe your fourth starter, depending on how deep your format is. He's not somebody that you need to draft as an ace, and there is ace potential in there. Uh, and I think at, at the price, there, you know, especially depending on your build, again, a lot of things are build dependent at that point. If you have already a ton of strikeouts, if you've drafted Gosman and you know uh, whoever else zach wheeler and who you know if you have a solid base of strikeouts you probably don't need to as much if you want to pair him with like a george kirby i I think that type of move would make sense somebody who is going to be maybe not striking out as many batters but is more of a sure thing in terms of the ratios Mm -hmm. to kind of balance out with like a kirby type i I think that does make sense for dylan cease uh eric fetty is the new addition to the team Slotted in as the number two starter. I don't know what to make of him. I, I really don't know what to make of Eric Fetty at this point. His year in Korea last year was absurd. Uh, he was 20-6 and six in terms of the win-loss. He had a two ERA on the button, and he struck out almost 30% of his batters. Now, that's in mm-hmm. Korea. That's right. going to be quite a bit different than what we see over here probably. And you know, his major league career has been a 541 ERA with only a 17.5% strikeout rate. So 
I don't know what to expect. What are you expecting this year from Eric Fetty uh, in year one back in the bigs, Mike? Well, I have to shout out your fellow country mate, fellow great Canadian, Tim McLeod, who, when the White Sox did this, reached out to me and said, well, I really like this for your team. So he took me through a a, a long um, projection and ideas about what Fetty was, and it really kind of warmed me up to the idea of having it. I've actually taken Fetty in a couple places. It wouldn't be the first time that we saw somebody go to the KBO and come back and be a pretty good player, right? So we have we think about like Merrill Kelly, Miles Michaelis. If he's somewhere in between there, the Sox would be thrilled. They didn't spend a lot of money on him. He's another guy that if he comes back here and does well, could be a trade ship for them on our rebuilding team. He really worked in the KBO on changing his grips, and he really fixed his curveball, which was something that had really been a problem for him while he was here in the States. And I, I think that this is a guy that, depending on where you're at in your draft and where you're building, if you're looking for, um, it, like in an NFBC-style league, a sixth or a seventh starter that you're just kind of taking a roll of the dice on, I think it's worth taking a roll of the dice on because if he really truly figured something out, you know, that could really be good. And, and you know, we we laugh and say, oh, people poo-poo Miles My, Michaelis. The guy throws 200 innings every year. Yeah. The Sox need somebody that's going to eat innings, and Fetty could be that guy. I don't think he's Merrill Kelly. I don't. I don't think that Merrill Kelly has been really good. But if he was somewhere in between there, the White Sox got a bargain at two years for fifteen million dollars. And again, he's not old, and he's another one of these White Sox guys who has a first round pedigree. This was a guy that was a first round. You don't get to be a first round pick by being dog meat something's there right so if if he went there and figured it out and is able to then transpose that into the major leagues the white Sox would have a decent number two starter yeah and i think that he does make uh for a decent target in your deeper leagues with the potential in shallower leagues to be a guy who you stream in for a two-start week or who potentially does you know end up being somebody that you pick up in a 12-team league i don't think that he's somebody i would be drafting in 12-team leagues no, you're right. You're right about that for sure. It depends on the roster size because there are 12 team leagues where the rosters are, are deep roto style leagues. And he might be, you know, in the in the last couple rounds there. But I think for your average Yahoo player, he's not somebody to think about drafting, but to definitely keep an eye on because there could definitely be a couple of weeks throughout the season where he's really, really valuable. And maybe even beyond that, he could even be better than that. Um, let's talk a little bit. Of Michael Kopech. I no, no, no. I know. No, I'm kidding. I, I I, you know, I gotten so much shit last year because Michael Kopech had a couple of great starts and it uh-huh. was against the Royals and the Guardians, I think. And I said something like, folks, you know, I could have a great start against the Royals or the Guardians once or twice. And I, I didn't say it exactly like that. And I'm being cheeky here. But I, I said <laughs> that, you know, it, he's still not meant to be a starter. And the season right. as a whole was disastrous for Michael Kopech. You know, I think we all kind of got fooled by 2022, where on the surface it was a pretty good season. Um, but behind the numbers, you look at the XFIPs of the world and the expected ERAs and everything else. It was a bad year. Mike, I think that Mike Soroka belongs as a closer or as a high leverage reliever. I don't think that he can function as a starter. The White Sox might want to use him as a starter, but with a 15% walk rate. I mean, yeah. if you look back at the last year, he was a regular reliever, which was 2021. We got some amazing results from him. We got a 27% strikeout minus walk rate. We got a good batting average against low whip. As a starter, he just hasn't had it. Is that what you think is potentially going to happen here? Is there a chance that he is used as a reliever, as a closer, or are we doomed for um, for Michael Kopech as a starter? 
I don't see that they have a ton of options in the rotation that have anything that's decent, right? I mean, you've got the Chris Flexens, the Jared Schuster's, the uh, Michael Soroka, who I actually do have some hope for. I mean, I, I actually I'm rooting for him real hard. I want him to do well, just based mm-hmm. on what's happened to him over the last couple of years. But Kopech is sort of like the cousin to Eloy. He's a he's a he's a meathead, and mm-hmm. he's he's clearly got he's clearly got some mental health stuff going on. I don't say that lightly. You know, you, you see him out there again. Here's a guy that has two really powerful pitches in the past. He is best served in the bullpen. Why they continue to try to make him a starter, I will never understand, other than that's maybe what he wants. But his strikeout rate last year was on a 22%. His walk rate, as you said, was over 15%. He gave up 29 home runs in 129 innings. There were games where he gave up three and four home runs where I'm like, what the hell is going on? How could he still be out there? It was almost like they just wanted him to get his brains beat in. And then all of a sudden he has this knee injury and he can't figure it out. I I don't think he can figure it out as a starter. I don't think his pet, his foot is on the gas all the way. And if you talk to anybody who's a starting pitcher, whether that be, and you were a pitcher, right? Yeah. You know, you, you know that if you start off like a million uh, miles an hour, pedal to the metal, you're going to run out of gas quickly. That's what always happens to him. He's inefficient. He can't get out of innings. The only time we've seen him be successful is when he was in that multiple inning role and he could just go out there and unleash. This is the guy that should be the closer for the White Sox. They're talking about Garrett Crochet stretching out and becoming a starter. Garrett Crochet has one and a half pitches, similar to uh, Kopech, right? So let's say that you stretch out you stretch out Crochet, who otherwise would probably be their best candidate as closer. I think they should move Kopech to the bullpen and use him as a reliever. I, if I were Griffal, what I would say is, guess what? I'm, the first two months of the season, every time we have a lead in the ninth inning, I'm going to have you come in. I want you to throw it as hard as you can through the wall and then use your slider when you see fit. Yeah. The thing about it is Maldonado and Stacy were signed to be able to help cats like this figure that out. They know what to do. They're psychologists. Maldonado is not going to hit Jack's weight, but he can catch and he knows how to prepare for a game. If you ask major league players who the best game preparer behind the plate is, it will be Maldonado about 75% of the time. Yeah. He is detail oriented. He's 37. I know he's old. I know his best days are behind him, but guys like that can really help guys like these make those connections. I think Kopech is best served in the bullpen. I hope he gets there. And I mean, at pick 500, I'll take a chance on him once or twice in my drafts that maybe they do put him in the pen. If it's as a starter, like I I have no hope that he's going to be able to make it as a starter. There's just, I've been hurt too many times as a reliever. I could definitely see it though. And I'm hoping that is what they end up doing. Uh, Mike Soroka and Chris Flexen are kind of late round options uh, in draft and holds. You said you're interested in Soroka this year. And I can see some interest in Soroka for myself as well. With Chris Flexen, I, I can't get no. behind it from a fantasy yeah, point that's of view. Yeah, that's a no. That's an absolute no. I mean, yeah, Flexen, we don't I mean, time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think Soroka is an interesting guy just because he's also very young. He's not been healthy. He's had some horrible, horrible luck. He's not a big strikeout guy. He's a guy that eats innings. You know, he had a, a couple of years ago, it was his rookie year, he had a really nice season. Um, the Sox got him for the, you know, the, in the Andrew, uh, Aaron, Andrew, I'm sorry, Aaron Bummer trade, which good riddance um, and, and, and got him back. And I, I think it's worth a roll of the bones and see what he is. Again, 
Here's another White Sox guy, first round pick, only 26. If he's healthy, he could really get a lot of innings here uh, and, and could be a guy that eats innings and doesn't kill your ratios. You're not going to get a lot of strikeouts. I mean, this is a guy that's got, what, an average 20% strikeout rate over the course of his career. But he's proven in the past when he's healthy that he can get guys out. And for the White Sox as the number three starter, um, you know, there I think there are worse things that you could do. I'm not sure how many more worse, but there are worse guys that you could take a look at if you're trying to fill in the back end, especially like in a draft and hold or something that's deep. They have no other options, dude. He's going to get an opportunity if he's healthy. Yeah, I don't mind taking a chance on Soroka as a, as a late round draft pick at all. That one year in Atlanta, it was a long time ago, 2019, but it was a great season that he had during a year where the ball was flying out of the yard in 2019. That was the year where everybody was hitting 50 home runs. And right, right. You saw crazy home run totals from guys like Jeff McNeil and Christian Vazquez hitting 25. And Soroka had a great year. He's, he's a long time removed from that, but he has been hurt. I, I think that he is an interesting kind of later target as well. In terms of Chris Flexen, I think he's arguably the worst pitcher in all of baseball. He is, from a, from a fantasy point of view, I mean, I don't mean to pile on, but from a fantasy point of view, like there's nothing. The strikeouts are some of the most abysmal strikeout rates you'll ever see at, with Chris Flexen. So, I mean, if you're if you're starting him in any given week this year, uh, do the sign of the cross before you hit submit on your lineup because it's not going to be looking terribly great, I don't think. Well, you know, I think the I think that one of the things to think about with this squad too is that uh, there there is some hope in terms of you know the, in in twenty twenty three at the trade deadline they made a lot of trades and they sort of replenished some of their minor league system with some arms that could be interesting down the road. So I think what the mentality here is is that they've signed a bunch of guys to try to get to around the all-star break. And then you're going to see like the Nick Nostrini's and the Jack, Jake, uh, Jake eaters. Um, Noah Schultz is still a little bit ways away, but he's a guy that is going to be, if he makes it to where he could be, could be an absolute stud mm. top of the order type of top of the rotation type of guy. So I'm wondering if they're just kind of trying to bide their time and not spend any money on that type of stuff and then see what they have with some of these other guys that might be kind of coming up. It looks like it. It looks like they're going the cheap route with with the guys that they're going to be sending out there. Um, in terms of the bullpen, Mike, we both think that it probably should be Kopech. Right now, according to what Roster Resource is telling us, we're looking at John Brebbia, Jesse Chavez, Jimmy Lambert at the back end of the rotation. Um, what are we thinking? Who's Is it Brebbia? Is Brebbia going to be the guy that gets the first shot here out of the gate to be the closer? Yeah, I mean, I think the way it looks right now, that seems to be the case. I mean... Um, it, it's not an ideal situation. I mean, you know, they have a 30, almost 34 year old closer who's never really closed. And Jesse Chavez is probably their most sure deal and he's 40, you know? So, um, I, I don't know exactly how that's going to work out. Now they did sign the other day. They did sign Corey Knebel, uh, who was a pretty good reliever. You know, isn't it funny? We keep talking about that. That's been a theme of the show. Hasn't it? In 2019, this guy was pretty good. And, <laughs> And Knebel has had nothing but arm injuries and issues since then uh, as a guy that was an all-star closer when he was in Milwaukee not that long ago. So they've got that, and they signed Dominic Leone. Um, the guy that I think is really kind of interesting to this group is Prelander Barroa, who they got for the yeah. Gregory Santos trade. I, I don't know that he's going to break camp with the team anymore. I, it seems like with these free agent signings and the non-roster invitees that they're going to fill 
backfill in with that. They also have Tim Hill lately of the Padres and whatnot. I don't think Barroa is going to make it in that spot yet, but this is a guy that is electric, and if he figures it out, could really be good. The one thing that I would say about the White Sox with the pitching that I think is interesting is this. Um, Brian Bannister is now their director, their pitching coordinator. And Brian Bannister has been successful at every organization that he's been to. He was in Kansas City for a while. Uh, He was in San Francisco for a while. They traded for Barroa, uh, knowing that Bannister had originally coached him in San Francisco. He's 23. He's electric. I think that they feel that Bannister is going to be able to help some of these guys. Not so much the guys that we're talking about now, but guys that will be coming down the pike. They've really struggled to develop pitching. Anyone who watches baseball knows that the White Sox have really struggled to be able to develop pitching. Um, Their pitching coach is Ethan Katz, who was the pitching coach for Lucas Giolito and Max Fried and Jack Flaherty in high school. He's really had a mixed bag of success as far as I'm concerned as a major league coach. I think Bannister is a guy that could really kind of help turn that around a little bit. I'm hopeful anyway. I mean, we have to grasp at some level of straw here, Joe. Yeah, that's what you have to do. If there's anything for me from a fantasy point of view, it's that the closer situation here, if you are somebody who likes to speculate on relievers, if you're somebody who reads Mike's work, that's something that you should be doing. (laughs) Um, I think that you can at a pretty reasonable price this year, whether you think it is going to be potentially Kopech who gets moved into the pen. He's going to pick 500. Eric Crochet is 534. John Brebby is 556. Barroa is 635. So if you're somebody who plays in draft and hold leagues and you are not somebody who was able to secure the haters of the world and the Diaz's of the world, you could maybe speculate. Not that it's a you know a great situation to be in, having to roster two or three different guys on a draft and hold to kind of speculate for saves. But you can get to a point of a draft where you're kind of desperate. And I think mm-hmm. that there's a situation there where you could take two or three of those guys in the later rounds and you're probably going to land up or land up, end up with the closer. Um, it might be split up like seven, seven, and seven, or something between three of those guys. But there is a, a, some value saves available there. You don't have to get all your saves in the first few rounds. Now, the, right, the last right. point there for me is that if you are playing in a ten or a twelve team league, I wouldn't bother with the White Sox bullpen situation. It's going to be a, probably Absolutely. a bit of a headache. It's going to be a bit of a headache to get figured out who it is going to be, and whoever it does end up being, we're not talking about. Uh, again, I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to pile on, but we're not talking about a 100-win team where there's going to be 40 saves to be spread around, 45 mm-hmm. saves or whatever it's going to be. It's going to be like maybe 30 saves split a few different ways. So if you are in a shallow league, I would just try and avoid this situation altogether if you could, uh, unfortunately, at this point. Unless, well, Liam Hendricks is still out there and he's talking about maybe signing. And do you think there's any chance of a reunion at this point? Well, people here love him. And he liked Chicago from what we were told. I think there's an opportunity there. I mean, I don't think he's going to be back this year. Um, if he does, it'll be, he, he's very aggressive and he's very much thinking that he's going to make it back sooner than what he does with the way that this team is constructed and the the fact that they're going to be pretty bad this year. I don't see that necessarily being a match for him unless he signed a multi-year deal at a lower you know contract rate or something like that to rehab with the Sox but people here loved him I mean he was super involved in the community he's a great guy he's a, really into anti-animal cruelty societies and really big into uh, gay rights and 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 you know G- LGBTQ and questioning he was wonderful in that regard and as the father of a of a gay daughter like I love that about him. Like he was super involved, like not just giving money, but super involved. Like he's a really great guy. So 
I hope he, whatever he does, I hope he ends up healthy and that he lands on his feet because he's a warrior. I hope so as well. Uh, you know, people aren't really drafting him so much. He's been taken in a total of three draft and holds uh, in the wow. new year. Out wow. of a out of seventy six, he's been drafted three times. So maybe a couple people are kind of hopeful there with their last round pick. We know how great he can be, and like you said, he's a he's a great individual as well. Can't not believe the Blue Jays let him get away, and then he becomes the superstar. But that's kind of the story of our life down here in Toronto. <laughs> Mike, I know you can think something similar uh, with the way that the White Sox have gone these last couple of years, but I appreciate you taking an hour out of your day to uh, to talk about this wretched team with me. <laughs> Joe, anytime. You know, I'm always happy to talk ball with you. And uh, it was great seeing you again this past year in Arizona. I'm guessing that will be an annual tradition for us to get together and have a beer and break bread every once in a while down there. And uh, I really thank you for the opportunity to come on. I know you have a lot of you've had a lot of incredible guests. You get really great people to come on. Your show is really always very good. Well thought out. You're a great host. I appreciate being on with you. And I do take pride in the fact that I've been on more than anyone. Although if that changes uh, here shortly, you'll have to let me know because I want to be able to keep my record. Yeah. I mean, the numbers are always going to be bouncing around. I do have, you know, I, I try and mix it up and bring on new people, but you do end up getting uh, closer with certain people in the community that you end up wanting to talk to more. And you're definitely one of those people, Arizona, unless there is some catastrophic event, I'll be there every year as often as I can and I'm thinking this year I might actually extend it. I'm not, I don't want to be there rushing. You go. This last year I was rushing a little bit and I went the cheap route and I went with the red eye flights and I stayed the minimum amount of time. And I, you know, I ended up losing out on a bit of the experience that way. I think I want to come in on the Tuesday or the Wednesday instead of the Thursday and then stay through the Sunday and just make it more of a vacation as opposed to running around to meet, you know, get here at this time and get here at that time, rush to the airport and, make a connecting flight i just want it to yeah. be more of a of a relaxing experience but uh yeah if you guys haven't been down there i know that probably nobody listening will actually go ahead and do it but even if one of you does it is really worthwhile to meet a lot of cool people you get to, to do a lot of cool things we've talked about it here on the show so many times go to baseballhq.com and you can get all the information there a uh, free plug for those guys they do great work but that's pretty much it for us. Again, you can find Mike's work over at Fantrax and at Roto Baller. He is also the co-host of the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Beat, which is a go-to. I said it with Torres last week. You're missing out if you're not uh, catching up on those pods. Not just that pod, of course, any Triple Play podcast, but specifically uh, the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Beat. They do great work talking with different people in the fantasy world, talking with different beat writers as well to give you a few different perspectives. Uh, check out Mike on Twitter at MDRC0508. You can check me out at Joe Orico99. And you get all our fantasy baseball work here at Ethos Fantasy BB. Make sure you're following us over there. But we'll be back again next week. We got some more team previews planned. But until then, take care and have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.